Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go, and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 5, Episode 12, Swap Meet. Let's get this show on the road. decide about the title of this episode i love it but it's such a bad joke <laughs> i mean it sort of sounds like the sound that accompanied pudding <laughs> oh no don't we were past that it was over but genuinely you know what like for a show that's really good at like silly titles or like references this is like a low level pun but such a pun that i love <laughs> It really quickly makes it evident what's happening before the official reveal and then the actual like title card. What as soon as I had like I writing my notes and I'm like, what is this? Some kid in Sam's body? You know, I don't hate this episode. I it's it is usually a skip, but I don't hate it. So it's a nice break from like me hating episodes. <laughs> I feel like this has all the makings of like a bad episode, but like it wasn't awful. You're absolutely right. It has all the makings of a bad episode, but it's not actually terrible. It's not great, but it's not terrible. Are you ready to recap the episode? Count me down. All right. Three, two, one, go. Cold open on Sam in a bar, acting incredibly out of character, ordering the most disgusting drink on any menu ever, getting hit on by a woman, uh, realizing they're going to go hook up, and then a reveal that it clearly isn't Sam, but some kid in Sam's body, which leads to so many gross questions I have to ask that we're not going to ask. Time jumped earlier. We find out it's some kid who knocks Sam out with a blow dart uh, the first time this episode, and then somehow switch their bodies. And he's surprised to find out that Sam's still like around later. That's another thing. He's apparently doing this because a demon told his friend to do it, and he's gonna try to kill Dean. And Dean just doesn't figure any of this out. And they still manage to solve their initial case, which involves their old babysitter, which is a really weird B plot because it seems like it would be more important. Sam gets caught with another blow dart and tied up in the basement. They summon a demon. Demon goes after Dean. Dean and this Gary kid who took over Sam's body decide, screw it, we're going to work together and stop this demon. Uh, they return everything back to normal time. I, I don't got much to say. The episode says it all pretty plainly. It really has like all the flavors of a filling epi- a filler episode. <laughs> yeah, a filling episode. You can say that. <laughs> I feel like there's so many little things I could nitpick about this episode that just like, you have to suspend so much more belief than usual. Oh, Gary seems kind of interesting. Like, I, I'm okay with him. Oh, I hate him with a burning passion. He's basically the reincarnation of the kid from Asylum that I hated. Yes! <laughs> That's really funny. And then by the end of it, I was like, I guess I'm kind of okay with him, even though he really doesn't deserve it. I mean, you know, he is a teenager. His frontal lobe is not fully developed yet, so he's going to make some really bad decisions. And I think that Sam mocking his bad decision-making is kind of the pot calling the kettle black. Like, Oh, yes. Um, yes. Also, uh, he's an attempted murderer. It's because Sam has never killed anyone in his life. Hey, I'm not pointing fingers at Sam. I'm just saying we're saying, oh, he's just a poor 17-year-old making dumb decisions. One of those decisions was, I'm going to kill an adult man because a demon told me to do it. I mean, honestly, if you were to bring that into a court of law, like, I'm just saying that this is not something that he would probably be held truly responsible for. Uh, long game, change of subject, now, go. I would like to start by highlighting kind of like what you said would have been like a super interesting, like an actually interesting thing to explore. I feel like we have like a whole, we can start making a whole list of things in Supernatural that would actually be interesting instead of like whatever it is that we're being served. <laughs> the banana phone. <laughs> <laughs> the ghost banana phone. That old babysitter, like, how did that work out? Like, how did she find out? What happened there? Like, I would have loved to find out more about that. I would love to like go back and like see like the flashbacks of like, what actually happened that made her go, oh shit, these kids are telling the truth. So her name is Donna, that old babysitter. 
And when she talks about John, she says, he loved you boys. Now, like we literally just finished talking about Sam Interrupted, uh, where Dean was hallucinating John's ghost as part of his own personal hell. I think that Dean's face in that moment is really worth noting. Oh, so we're going to like talk about like, you know, the, the perception of John and how people see John in regards to the brothers as opposed to how he actually was. And we're going to have to wrestle with that the concept. But so like, like that's why when Dean had that reaction, I'm like, oh, I see where this is going already. And then bye plot. Bye. See you later. Bye. Really interesting narrative thread. Bye. Unfortunately, that doesn't really get picked up <laughs> any at any point later, although it is something that I do wish that we had had. I feel like we'll bring it up enough. And I feel, I don't know if we, I feel like we've talked about this before, but it, this is one of the first times that like we see Sam choose a salad instead of burgers. And I, I remember having this exact conversation with you. So I don't want to say it's the first time, but this is like relevant plot wise, right? So I think that this is now becoming a part of Sam's character. And and the 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 writers are now like, intentionally writing it in it's not just like or not that it wasn't intentional before but it's used with purpose with narrative purpose so it's not just like a little detail to build character it's now something that is used for plot there is this weird like mandela effect almost with sam where it's like i truly believe he's always been the healthy eater of the two and like always kind of like the salad eating guy like that was always sort of like the we're gonna go to a restaurant and i'm gonna order the healthy thing and dean's gonna order the grossest thing on the menu like that was that's a perception i've had of them both before watching the show and while we were watching it initially now with you so to have the realization of you're right like it wasn't ever like really a big thing and like you're right i can picture them just going each getting a burger or sharing a pizza like it was never like a a big deal but it's so ingrained in Sam's character. And I think that's from a, like, again, a cultural osmosis. I, I genuinely feel that way too, because uh, when we started rewatching, one of the things that I like kind of paid attention to without really putting it in the long game for some reason was actually the meals that they were eating. And until very recently, like that wasn't, you know, like the, the meals weren't differentiated. But you're right. Like, it definitely feels like a thing where it's like, you're right. Like, I can picture moments where this isn't true, but it feels like it's always been true. And, like, it's almost like, I I know we go back to this as a joke, the implied canon, but it's almost like it feels like it's implied canon. Like, they want us to remember it that way. This is also the first time that Dean asks Sam uh, if he ever thinks about having a family. Yeah, which, again, this is a weird one because I feel like the, I feel like, you're right, Dean's never asked it directly, but there's always sort of been an implication of, like, Sam's goal was to finish the hunt, which we've w well passed now, getting revenge and saving their, uh, you know, killing Yellow Eyes. It was always sort of implied that, like, you know, Sam would, like, you know, end this and go back. And I remember talking about it during the carnival episode, how, like, that has no longer really the case anymore for, for him. I, I A little bit of irony here in that Dean brings it up to Sam thinking that's what Sam still wants. And Sam doesn't think to ask Dean because he knows Dean doesn't want that. Or he thinks. Exactly. But that's things. It feels like Dean kind of wants that now. Mm -hmm. Well, it, this sort of feels like, you know, like, so uh, Drew, um, do you like, would you, would you be thinking about ice cream right now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> when in the end, I'm the one who wants to go get ice cream, but I'm just like, Hey, like, <laughs> Oh, while you're up getting yourself water that you clearly wanted, could you also fetch me a glass of water? <laughs> Whoa, is it that woman on TikTok who would like hide her husband's phone in the kitchen and then she would text him and then he would go and while he was in the kitchen, she'd be like, oh, can you bring me back some chips or something? I just thought that that was brilliant. Yeah, this point, I, I mean, they've talked about the impossibility of having a family with the job that they do. Sam doesn't talk about going back to like a normal life after this. So I feel like this is kind of being brought up at a really uh, strategic moment in the season. Yeah, I, I kind of see what you're going at there. I kind of get the vibe that like, we're, we're kind of starting to build a narrative of where Dean sees himself 
when hopefully this apocalypse is handled. I'm not sure that this is where he sees himself so much as where he like would like to imagine himself. Do like do you see the very subtle difference? <laughs> he's now in a point where he's like, "Oh, if we get through this apocalypse, what is next for us? Maybe whatever the hunter's version of retirement is for me." You know, toes in the sand at the beach or something, you know? That'd be sweet. So when Dean and Gary Sam, I I in the notes I have him as Gary Sam, meaning like Gary in Sam's body. So just to make sure I've adopted the nomenclature for it. I, I not not immediately. Like I saw you start using, so I flipped to it for a bit. Uh, does that mean we also have Sam Gary, which is Sam and Gary's body? So just this is the thing where it's like I can never remember which way it's going to go properly, so it'll be interchangeable. And I apologize. No, I, I know I was going to say like I tried to keep it constant in my notes, but it's been it, it's been a challenge. When Dean and Gary in the body of Sam are in the basement of Isaiah Pickett's house and Dean goes Willow Moss, I just want to do a really quick like throwback to to our herbology <laughs> corner because they never show the actual plant. So we can't really talk about whether or not they get it right. They were just like, oh, no, we can't show it anymore because we've been screwing it up too much. <laughs> well, that's it. Like I was like watching that scene. First of all, as soon as they mentioned a plant, I'm like. Five bucks, Mary's gonna bring this up somehow in the episode. No, like, I'm excited for it, but I know what's gonna happen. Because they do show, like, just the ground for, like, a second or two, and there's some green there, but, like, not enough to identify what kind of plant it is. Yeah, no, they don't, they don't really, I think they were called out a few, I don't know, maybe they weren't, they were, they weren't, or maybe they just didn't have the budget to put extra plants there, like, because I know, I know that, you know, supernatural budgets, I, I mean, I made a joke out of it, but, like, it's actually true, like, supernatural budgets were really, really tight, and so, like, you know, sometimes budget just did not permit certain things. Like proper CG when using a blow dart gun because, oh, is that bad? Just with the facts they give us about Willow Moss growing over a witch's grave, we can't really fact check that one per se. <laughs> no, I can't find that in Google Scholar, sadly. We need more witch scholars. Yeah, there you go. Google witch scholar. Are we ready to head into story time? <laughs> Let's go. So today our theme is habits surprisingly simple, but I'm hoping there's more to it. The word habit in French, uh, little, just little detour into like the French language, uh, actually means clothes. Indeed, when I looked it up, our current English word habit takes its roots in Latin habere. And by the way, just completely like between the time that I wrote this and the time that we're recording this episode, I actually heard the term habit in English, uh, to mean like religious clothing. So just funny little thing there. So it takes its roots in Latin habere, which means to have, and that created words such as like the French, les habits, to describe clothes and specifically like formal ecclesiastical clothes, uh, but also conduct, interestingly, and words like habiter and inhabit, which means to live in. So we have basically words that describe things that people have and things that people use every single day of their lives to talk about habits. That's so interesting. Uh, first, the fact that you bring up the the use of the term habit in English as a religious article, like, I, I expected that's where we were going to go with this conversation because to me, the, the other homophone for habit is what a nun wears. A nun wears a habit. Basically like a religious outfit. So like right away, it was one of those things where it's like, my, my gear started turning as you were talking. And I'm like, oh, I, I can see where these dots are going to connect already. I love this. But I did not see the inhabit one coming. That's so interesting. In, in this case, what I really want to look at in this episode is like the things that we truly do every day. Not the things that like we want to do every day or that we wish we did every day. But like what is it that makes up our true routine and our true habits and therefore who we really are and what we do. I think that's a pretty easy way to look at this episode. I'll be honest. I think especially given the, the, the Gary, Sam, Sam, Gary kind of flipping there. It's, it, it's, it's a really easy way to look at it. Like I love this theme for this episode. I think it's gonna be a really fun one to go into. So I think we can both agree. This is a pretty Sam heavy episode. And I actually think we need to start with the salad. 
Because it's really established in this episode and in that moment that Sam has been eating differently from Dean for some time now. But like we've discussed, this wasn't always the case, right? Like sometimes they would eat like together and they would eat the same thing. They would both eat burgers, especially in the early seasons. So I'm I'm kind of wondering, one, when did that change happen? Because we know here that it has been a while because Dean is like, oh yeah, you know, like it's kind of a an established thing. I would argue that this change happened at the start of season five because I think that Sam got like, you know, he, we know that he got supernaturally clean from demon blood. And I feel like it would make a lot of sense for him to start being more careful about like what he ate. And just as a disclaimer, I sort of, I, I really want to say that the whole clean eating thing has a lot to unpack or like, there's a lot to unpack there, which I like, I just don't think that it's that now is the time to talk about that you know, obviously I don't think that some foods are clean and some foods are not, but, but I can totally see how somebody in Sam, in Sam's situation would find relatability there, right? Would find something to anchor himself in that. So I can totally see that, like, this is something that he would anchor himself to, but that's, uh, you know, this is a theme that's going to follow uh, Sam for future seasons. So we will get other opportunities to explore it. But I think that for this episode, it's like safe to say that his eating habits are what, or at least a part of what makes Sam, Sam. Funny that this comes up here because it really does feel like it's always been the case for Sam. Like Sam has always been the healthy eater. Like I have images in my mind of past episodes of them sitting in restaurants and Sam giving Dean a look over something he ordered. Like, this has been going on forever, but you're right. It really is this more recent development. I just don't think that Sam was, like, constantly going for salads. He just wasn't going for the extra bacon, extra cheese that Dean was going for for his his burgers. With a fried egg on top, thank you very much. You know, when we're talking about eating habits, like, those things, the the... The nuances of it matter, I think, that Sam is no longer eating burgers at all. He's only eating salads, or at the very least, like, often choosing salads over burgers, right? This also sort of has big, um, you know, like, early 2000s diet culture energy of, like, you know, like, this this is the emblem of a healthy person going to a fast food place but getting the salad on the menu. I mean, it's the whole clean eating thing that's a part of diet culture, right? So I completely agree with you there. Yeah, I just, I remember that trend of every fast food place coming out with their version of their salad. And then, you know, years later, the realization of like, that salad had as many calories as the Big Mac. There was no point. So much about this episode, though it is about Sam, it's almost about Sam because it's about Gary's actions as Sam. Whereas Sam and Gary's body is mostly pushing the plot forward. Gary and Sam's body is developing Sam's character more and making Dean reflect on himself, which is such a weird, like, it it does so much with so little. Like, it seems it's a gag, but like, we get so much out of it. Yeah, I feel like this is a staple of this episode where like the things that could have been done aren't done. And like the tiny little things that don't seem that important actually can tell us quite a bit about the characters, which... Gary has Sam living his life in this like these like little ways that are more like free from a defined destiny because that's what Gary is trying to escape is this like perceived destiny that is written for him. Like it even seems to Dean like Dean is getting this vibe. There's multiple times that Dean goes like, "Oh, you seem different," and just like again, we'll get to Dean's side of this later because I have a lot of questions. But it's sort of just like it, it puts into perspective that like no matter how big or small the world is, your problems matter to you. And like finding your own ways to escape those things, whether they be just getting a good burger or listening to music or changing your soul with someone else's body. You, you, everyone copes in their own way. And I think it just it's it's seeing Sam relax a bit. And, like, obviously, like, the context is, like, the the fact that everything's kind of flipped. And to him, the thing Gary is escaping is super small by comparison. But it's just, it's getting away for a minute. You know, it's enjoying that small victory. 
It's walking away from those habits, basically, right? I'm not going to break into song, but it is breaking the habit tonight. <laughs> ah. You know, when you were talking, it sort of uh, made me realize that both Sam and Gary are trying to escape their own destiny. I think that's where so much of the like connective tissue and why there's so much to glean from Gary posing as Sam is because they're both not trying to do the same things. I think in this case, this is the like, we're seeing what Dean is seeing in Sam is the what if Sam did let go and like take a breather and kind of accept that they're going to get through this or what it could look like to be past this and just be happy. Gary, who's inhabiting Sam, thinks he's achieved this already. Gary sees Sam as someone who is free, whereas in Sam's mind, Gary is free. He's free to do whatever he wants with the life that he, he's been given, right? Oh, that's good. So last episode, we talked about the anger that Sam feels and how like being angry doesn't make him a bad person. What defines him are more like the choices that he makes and the action that he decides to take. So keeping this in mind, that he's very fresh out of a very nightmarish uh, mental health institution, where his own personal hell was, air quotes, going crazy, I'm quoting from the episode, basically being very violent, I think that when he saw his reflection in the cop car window and saw Gary, I want to note that he could have resorted to physical violence, but he didn't. He managed to stay calm you know, or at least as calm as he could. And I think that that has to do with who Sam is and what he puts into practice every day. Habitually, Sam is prone to outbursts. I kept waiting for him to stand up and punch Gary's dad. Not, again, the guy deserved a punch in the face, but the reality is I just kept expecting it because to me that is... Sam, that is Sam in a nutshell. Sam is the person who doesn't take likely to this kind of stuff and can be angry and let it show and can act upon it. So the fact that we are seeing him so like surprisingly level-headed and reserved is just like, I, I wasn't expecting it. Did, did last week's adventures really have an effect on him like that? I don't see him as someone who acts violently upon the things that happen to him. I really don't see him that way. I think I would be really hard-pressed to name you outside of the episode from last week and the one where um, Lucifer tells him to, to fan that anger in his belly. I would be really hard-pressed to name an episode where Sam's anger got the best of him or almost got the best of him, whereas it would be really easy for me to pinpoint a few about Dean. I think last week may have tinted my view of him a bit more and like expecting a little more of like an outburst from him. But I think it really is more of the emotional anger versus the actual acting upon it that we see from him. It, it, I think that that's exactly my point. Like, I feel like the show is trying to weave a character, uh, like a, a narrative of Sam who is angry, but they've, uh, who is angry and is violent, right? Because those two things are separate and I want to make sure that we see them separately, but we have never really seen a violent Sam. We've seen a rebellious Sam a lot. We've seen a very questioning Sam a lot. Uh, we've seen, um, uh, what it like he 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 pushes back right? Well, but he doesn't have like outward displays of anger and outward displays of violence either. Yeah, right. The anger seems to be a little less frequent than I think I'm thinking of it. I think last week just the talk about his anger and his hurting of people was rightfully so blown out of proportions for the sake of the episode. Like that was the point. But I think that's sort of where I was kind of expecting him to go a little bit in these moments. Like, I'm always kind of ready for the Sam outburst because he is much more wear his emotions on his sleeve and let his anger flow. So to see him through this entire episode, like, play his role, be so calm. Like, the fact that he actually went to school. Like, I know, obviously, it's to get the book and because this is your home, it's in the locker. But, like, why not? I get, that's, like, 
Sam like just sneaks into school when no one like everyone's in class, steals the locker package and like gets out. Like, but the fact that he actually like goes through and plays the part and is like calm and collected the whole time is I mean, it's still very Sam. Like Sam is the like the smart one. Well, the smart one, like he's the one who needs to understand. And keep in mind that he looks like Gary, right? We see him looking like Jared, which, you know, like makes us think like, why is this like full grown man in a high school? Like that makes no sense. But he looks like Gary. He can't just like take a car and go somewhere. You know what I mean? Like it's, he would be picked up by the cops, which is exactly what happened. Right. So he's, he's trying to deal with the situation as best as he can with the resources that he has. And in this case, he also doesn't have his full strength. He has, uh, IBS, uh, he's allergic to wheat gluten. Like it, there's just like so much that's going on with Sam that isn't about him that he, I think he's just trying to, I wasn't surprised that he went to school. That wasn't surprising to me. I feel like it's almost like a, it's a weird, like, okay, I'm going to like go like, do some research i'm gonna go undercover as gary that's the smart move also very sad it's it's funny i, I was so focused like on the anger from last week and kind of seeing how he takes that and like focusing on his emotional state that i kind of forgot the like oh yeah sam's like the smart nerdy one like he's gonna do the smart nerdy thing but drew i feel like the gaslighting of last episode worked on you unfortunately well hopefully we can get through that together Shall we talk about Dean? So I think that Dean is confronted with a Sam that is more like him or like more agreeable to him. And he's not really sure how he feels about that. <laughs> because like in their usual dynamic, their habitual dynamic, if you will, basically it's all about annoying each other to no end because of food, because of mood, because of booze, music, and everything else. But in this episode... Gary and Sam's body is much more into the same things that Dean is also into. Breaking that habit like doesn't really feel right to Dean. See, it's interesting you say that because I feel like you're leaning on a Dean didn't like this or Dean was like unsure of it. Like, is that how you feel or how you how you're seeing it? I feel like he felt like it, something was off. He was like, something's wrong about this. He was suspicious, not mad, not sad, not like, but he was very suspicious. Like, that's what I mean. Like, something doesn't feel right. Here's my issue. I feel like if we were watching this episode again, but Sam was in the role of Sam instead of Gary playing Sam. So we were seeing it through Dean's eyes, as in like Jared physically playing his character, but acting the way Gary does. I feel like it would become a lot more obvious that something was up. You know what? I think that that's a really interesting question. And I think the fact that we have an audience perspective, I know I'm breaking story and critical here, but I think it required for this. But I think because we have that audience perspective, the character of Gary is able to get away with more things as Sam because we don't see Sam doing them. We see Gary doing them, which I feel like, is there to make it easier as us for us as an audience to take this with a grain of salt? Because I feel like seeing Jared in those roles doing those same things, like I, I literally picture the scene of them like out like looking at the back bumper of baby and like, I'm so so sorry, and like just <laughs> shut up. I mean, Jared was so good in that like opening scene, right? Like <laughs> a banana daiquiri, my good sir. <laughs> Which I stand to say the most disgusting drink ever mixed. Uh, I just, I, I just, I just, oh, I just fucking hate bananas. So the idea of a banana in a cocktail, oh, sends shivers down my spine. I would love to have the sex with you. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna do it. <laughs> like, there's also a part of me, like the clear joke, the fact that that is the moment where Dean goes, wait a minute, Sam's getting laid, something's up. <laughs> that was that was the the straw that broke the camel's back really but on the other hand i also love jared playing gary you know what i mean like jared playing sam and gary's body like the whole like when he's being called for breakfast and he goes like coming i was like yes <laughs> even just the outfit they put him in like that freaking like blue zipper like grungy hoodie like it's so 2000s high school kid like who doesn't think he's popular oh god 
Like there's so like that's it. There's so much to love critically in this episode, but I think that blinds us as a viewer to how out there Gary as Sam is. That like it, it like I can argue away the fact that Dean is taken aback by these things and kind of like like again, there's the two sides of the coin of like you don't always expect your brother to suddenly be someone else in their body, but also in their line of business. It's happened enough times that maybe you should be a little more questioning when all your brother's personality traits suddenly flip. But then again, so okay, I'm, not, I'm like so many tangents on tangents here that all kind of come into a circle. Like, pardon me on this one. I've really had my head knocked around. But it kind of comes back and loops in on itself that I feel like the reason Dean is able to excuse all these things is because he's getting something that he actually enjoys. Like, it's it's like don't look a gift horse in the mouth type thing. This might be a hot take, but I feel like this episode is kind of like the reverse siren episode in a way, because like Dean gets, and I, I will put some very heavy air quotes on this, a little brother who looks up to him, which was heavy air quotes again, all he ever wanted. And he, I don't know that he actually loves what's going on like I think he loves his brother more than he love he would love like somebody who's a yes man there's a level of I actually listened to a really adorable like podcast today on the drive uh home uh and that was kind of the line the character uses was the when I first met you I loved a few things about you and a lot of other things annoyed me but with time the things I love became annoying and the annoying parts of you are what I truly come to love and it's like super adorable. And it's like, what a heartfelt moment. And like, I can picture those moments in my own relationship where like, I know the little foibles I have that are stupid, but they make my wife laugh and they give her a smile. Like, you know, we have those inside jokes based on that silly thing I've done or will do. I think that there's also something to be said about how the narrative that we have about someone or about a relationship that we're in uh, is often more of a habit than a reality. You know, sometimes like I find that because Sam and Dean don't really talk about their relationship and aren't reflecting on it as much as I think that they should, a lot of that relationship is basically one person thinking one thing and the other person thinking another thing. And then the two never talking about it until like something big happens and so all those moments, like before they get to actually talking, a narrative habit that they have in their heads, like, oh, he's taking a salad because da 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 or like, oh, he's, he's like hooking up with a chick because da 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 you know, like it's instead of like talking about, hey, you know, like I've noticed that you've been eating a lot of salad lately. What's up with that? It's every rom-com. How often have you been watching a rom-com and you just go talk to each other? If you just stopped assuming and took 20 seconds to have a conversation like adults, you would resolve the entire plot of this movie an hour ago. I mean, if the Winchester brothers actually talked to each other, there would be no plot. So, you know what I mean? Like, From the outside looking in, we all kind of do the thing of like, it's when you're watching a horror movie, like, oh, don't do that. I would never do that. But then when you're in those moments, like, I guarantee you, we all do those things where like, you you look at it, you're like, oh, how could this how could this person on TV do this thing? It's such an moronic thing. As you were literally doing something equally as moronic the next day, but because you're in the situation, you've thought it through your own way, you convince yourself it's the right move, and you go ahead with it. You know, it's so much easier to see a problem when it's happening in front of you than when you're living it. That's very true. All of this to say, I've gone so back and forth on Dean here and like what must be going through his head of like to us, it's super obvious that it's not him for so many reasons. But to Dean, it's just a few weird moments where like, you know, Sam, like you can rationalize it of like, you know, he has been under a lot of stress lately. You know what? Today was a win. You know, we got to see an old family friend like we should be in a good mood today or like it's I, I can imagine being in Dean's shoes and rationalizing those moments of like, you know, Sam enjoying a burger when normally he's a salad guy or, you know, 
saying those things like we should get drunk together more often because, you know, he's in a good mood today. Like, it's so easy in those moments to try to find the most rational solution that even when you live a life where doppelgangers are a thing, you don't always jump to those conclusions because why would you? Because they don't talk to each other. Uh, let's move on to critical time. <laughs> so who was behind this episode? I'm, I'm very intrigued because it was really different. This episode was written by Julie Siege, Rebecca Dessertine, and Harvey Fedor, or Fedor. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it, sadly. And who directed this episode? It was directed by Robert Singer. Like, I don't want to say he's like a generic director now, but like, he he fits the mold so well, he always makes things feel right, so. We'll talk about Robert Singer another day. In the meantime, Drew, can you read us an excerpt of The Hunter's Journal? My siblings and I all stayed in the old house now empty except for memories and things we long outgrew. The folks hated that we all moved away. Not like mad hated, but like sad we couldn't do family dinners as often. Genuinely, I think deep down they really were happy to see all of us out in the world following our passions, even if they didn't actually know what I did for a living. We stayed up far too late drinking booze from Dad's old liquor cabinet, old scotches and whiskeys that none of us really liked, but... We knew he wouldn't want them to go to waste and we should enjoy them in his honor. We then stumbled room to room going through our childhood things, old sports trophies for my sister and remembering that time dad almost knocked out a referee for a bad call. Art projects from school years past that were once on the fridge and now in boxes and will likely end up being recycled. Just so many old things we hardly remembered until we held them again and new stories came up. Well, the booze had done its job, and we all found our way back to our childhood bedrooms, and soon the two of them were snoring, which left me the last one awake. I reached for a book off my shelf, knowing I can't keep my eyes open for more than two pages anymore. Glad this trick still works, and hopefully it'll beat the snoring tonight. I flipped the book open to any page, expecting one of those old, you know, fantasy novels I had bought when I was young and left my parents' place. But instead I found my journal. like. My journal. Not an old journal. No, this was my current journal. And I just couldn't stop reading. I read about my hunts. I read about my life. I read things that haven't happened yet. I read about my death. Written by my own hand. I trembled. I read my own final words written to myself. I jolted awake. The book nowhere to be seen. I was about to start looking for it, but... I was interrupted by the smell of pancakes. I stood silently for a moment. Maybe it was just a bad dream? Maybe I'll leave it that way. Ooh, that's a very interesting take on this episode. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Anything you want to share with us this week from your end? Yeah, there's a reference to uh, Freaky Friday in this episode, which, like, if you grew up in the 2000s, you would obviously remember as a foundational teen movie of that era. For those who might not know, the story was originally a novel, which was adapted as a movie in 1985, then another movie in 1995, a TV movie this time, and then finally the latest movie version uh, that I think this episode is referring to was made in 2003. I adored this movie. Like, I swear, it was on heavy rotation at our house when we were growing up. Uh, My sister and I both loved it. And as someone who really loves the concept and the idea of like the whole Freaky Friday thing... I didn't really like the execution of the concept in this episode, and I've been thinking about why, and I sort of think it's because there's no real emotional attachment to Gary. Like, I personally found myself annoyed at him a lot more than rooting for him, and so I think that for a concept like this one to work, you really have to be able to root, like you as the audience, have to really be able to root for both characters to succeed. And in this case, I personally was really only hoping that nothing bad would happen to Gary because then it would mean bad things happening for Sam and for Dean. So my rooting for Gary was very indirect. And so, yeah, that's kind of where I stand on the use and execution of this trope in this episode. You're right. Like there's such a lack of stakes when you only really have an attachment to one of them. It didn't occur to me in the moment, but like it, it's such a drastic difference to think of an actual Freaky Friday scenario if it were like, you know, Sam and Bobby that switch places. Like you actually have a thing for both of them and like 
even if they were forcibly separated for whatever reason, like you still have an aff- an affiliation with both characters that Gary just doesn't have here. You're right. Gary was really just like. Imagine Sam and Dean swapping places. I would love that. Do we really not get that in the next? Like, really? No, we don't. That seems like such a like a cheap, easy one to do. But like, I feel like that would have, you know, been a lot more. Uh, compelling for the uh, for for the audience to watch because then not only do you get the humor of like Jensen playing Sam and Jared playing Dean but you also get like the emotional attachment to both of them and like hoping that things get back to normal before next episode kind of thing I mean one 100% I am like the fact that you're telling me this doesn't happen like actively shocking to me. Like there are so many tropes the show has dipped into that they do not do a body swap with the two of them is insane. And then secondly, if only for the joke of somebody calling Jared playing Dean, Dean, just to have him go like, Ugh, that's seems so unnatural to call me that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Like what an easy joke. Shall we head down to our community and see what they have to share with us this week? This week, we have a message from Lucia, and before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Drew and I are going to be answering the question, what song would you tell Dean to turn up in the Impala and just know he would agree to do it? For our Roadhouse patrons and coffee supporters on our Impala Talk, Hey, Caring Wayward folks, it's Lucia. I've reached out before and shared some thoughts about Dean, so I thought that it would be appropriate to take a moment and send in some thoughts about Sam. Felt like his turn. Now, my thoughts on this are a a little much um, for a three-minute voicemail, so I've decided I'm going to split them up and send them in in two sections so I can kind of address things a little more thoroughly. So bear with me. Um, I just finished the coverage of On the Head of a Pin, and I found that so fascinating, and I really loved everything that you guys had to say. Um, I do have a couple counterpoints, though, so hear me out. Um, I have always thought that season four is incredibly fascinating in the way that it's structured, because unlike the other seasons... It's kind of unclear until the end who the bad guy really is. Obviously, Lucifer is not there yet. We're supposed to perceive that Ruby is, you know, maybe a good guy. Alistair is defeated pretty quickly. Lil is not really around that much. I feel like she's in season three almost as much as she is in season four. And... The angels are dicks, but they're not necessarily bad guys, like, in general. So it's kind of hard to pinpoint. And I think the reason for that is because this is an unconventional story where it's not about having a villain. It's about having a person who is causing harm for good reason. And that person is Sam. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, people don't be mad at me. I adore Sam. I love him so much. So this is not me trying to, like, say he's a bad person because I don't think he is. I think the brilliance of the story with season four is that it takes Sam, who is a good person, and it uses the motivation of doing something good to push him to do things that are bad, which ultimately results in something bad happening. So he's so driven to save people that he makes all of these choices that are hurtful without considering the consequences short-term or long-term and ultimately creates significant harm that he couldn't have even imagined And really the only way I feel like that was possible was through the combination of manipulation, which we see from Ruby, and also 
through his pride. Sam's hubris really blinds him to the consequences of his actions in season four. And it is what leads to his downfall. So yeah, that's definitely something that I would like to take a moment and scratch at a little longer. Um, So I guess keep listening because I um, have some additional thoughts. Um, Also, I really love what you guys are saying. It's been really fun to hear your opinions and see you kind of not necessarily pick the show apart, but just, you know, stretch it out a little bit and take some time to kind of look at each individual thread as it's woven together in order to better appreciate kind of the whole pattern. So I really appreciate that. It's a lot of fun. Thanks. Lucia, thank you so much for this voicemail. It's so nice to hear from you. And uh, we'll be listening to the second, the second part of the voicemail next week. First off, I wish... I wish we had a recording of the way that my face lit up when you said you had counterpoints. I was like, oh, counterpoints. I was like literally so excited. So thank you for bringing that up. And again, like we haven't heard from Lucia in a while. Let's use that voicemail. And to to listen to this voicemail after such a Sam-centered episode where like we were trying to figure out who Sam is, is like such a potent reminder of that, especially like with all of the work that the that the show has done over the past few seasons to describe and to characterize Sam. And like this, I completely agree with you, Lucia, by the way, like Sam's pride is in big part what leads him to all of these bad decisions. And I feel like that's how Sam has been characterized. Like if we think back to like the, the seven uh, deadly sins, Sam was pride. He wasn't wrath. And so that's why like this whole anger narrative in this season sort of feels a bit shoehorned in. Like it makes complete sense given what he's lived, but this violent kind of like the show trying to portray him as a violent person, it, it just doesn't jive for me personally. Like I see Sam as prideful, certainly definitely flawed, I have a lot of criticisms of Sam, but I don't see him as somebody who is inherently like violent and aggressive, right? Those are my thoughts. I can't wait to listen to the second part. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for an amazing voicemail. And it really got my 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 brain turning here because you're right. Season four is so untraditional in its villain story because you're right. Like I, I will like, I, I don't have the numbers, but I would bet a decent sum of money. There is more Lilith in season three than season four despite her being labeled the big bad of the season. And I think it's a fake out. Really, I think you have it right. The big bad of the season is ultimately Sam being tricked into being the villain himself. And I think that's why the Ruby betrayal hurts even more, (laughs) as I've made very apparent. Yes, exactly. And I do think that we have that discussion later in the season, like after On the Head of a Pin. Because I remember specifically talking about like season six of Buffy where like the villain is not like the trio or whatever it is that they call themselves, but it's like depression. And I feel like Lucia, like you've, you've nailed it here by saying that the big bad of the season isn't like an actual big bad, right? Like, yeah, it's, you know what it's, it's, uh, it's subverting expectations. You have a monster of the week show. You expect a monster every week. And if there's going to be a big bad at the end of the season, it'll be a bigger monster. And then the reveal is, No, you were just being played. The real villain here was your ability to be tricked and to think you were doing the right, these things for the right reason. I can't think of any great examples right now, but kind of those moments where you have a villain who's incredibly sympathetic because it seems like their goal is actually just, they're just going about it in a very like villainous method. Uh, There's a few animes that come to mind, but I'm not going to get too deep in this one. But like, where you like, yeah, I mean, he's doing these evil things, but, like, I kind of get his point a little bit. Like, he's just not doing it the right way. Uh, that's very, like, Sam. It's like, he wasn't the bad guy. He was doing all the right things. He just, I guess they were bad things in the end. Oh, but he's not a bad guy. It's an amazing eye-opener and an amazing, like, as much as we do recap every season and do, like, full season recaps to, like, look at, like, the monster, the monster, the end of that season. It's so interesting to think that it really isn't any of the ones we set up. 
Let's go on and reflect on this episode. So Drew, do you want to share what this episode called you to do? You know what? Uh, Very weird because I really, looking back, couldn't think of something. And then in rewatching it today to take my notes, it occurred to me I had done something. And I don't know if the episode was directly responsible for making me do it. But like, it's a very clear thing. And I've like made this connection. So I'm like retroactively calling it my call to action because I did it today. Um, And that is just being very, very honest sometimes. I feel like I can get stuck in my head. I don't know if other people get this way. I'm sure people do. But like, you get stuck in your head. Uh, you know, I've criticized Sam for doing the show where he like doesn't say something until it's like literally the last possible second. It's too late almost. As the narrative of my own life continues to unfold, I have moved to a new province. I'm job hunting. Uh, it's not been the most lucrative market for jobs right now. I've had a little trouble finding some footing. And I finally got a job offer. And I turned to my wife and I said to her, I'm like, this this isn't the job for me. I, I don't want to say yes to this just because it's an offer when it really seems like not worth it and not the right fit. And she agreed. She was like, yeah, no, if that's how you're feeling, like that's, that's fine. And you know, me several months ago may have not done this, may have not been able to speak my truth, would have just sucked it up and said, I got to get a job because I need a job. And I could be next week working in some office miserable. And now I'm, you know, being honest, speaking my mind, not following someone else's orders. I'm living my life my way. And it's made life a little easier. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And you this week? I just think it's kind of funny that in my last call to action, I mentioned habits in relationship to balance. So like, I guess this week, I feel called to recognize that there are some habits that are aspirational and that some habits are really interwoven into my life. And that sometimes those are two different things. And sometimes like an aspirational habit, like to give an example, would be like tidying your kitchen every, tidying my kitchen every night. And those are the ones that I can totally uphold when things are going very smoothly in my life. Uh, But when I have five papers due at the end of the month and work is busy and nine-year-old has a ton of activities, I, I can't keep them up. But another habit is to work on this podcast. And that's something that I do no matter how my life is going. So I guess that like my message to myself here is that not every single habit needs to be prioritized all the time. And that's also balance. We have these habits we build. We build structure around these things. And some of them help keep the balance. Other ones are only there because of the balance. It kind of balances itself out. So that makes a lot of sense. And that's good for you. Makes sense on the balance. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira, Michelle, and Elle for their generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Lucia for her message. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at Carrying Wayward, and leave us a rating and review on your podcast service of choice. And don't forget to join our coffee or Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. Oh, shit. Sorry, you can't hear me. I said, ooh, that's a really interesting (laughs) take for this episode. (laughs) Luckily, I'm recording on my end. (laughs) (laughs) We'd be surprised when I edit. (laughs) There you go.